Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 38 of Opposites React. I'm Tyler, and I'm here with Sarah, of course. hey <laughs> Today is say, Wednesday, October 14th, I you believe. Got it. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, days are all kind of blurring together, especially, you know, with, well, like I said, you know, if you're listening to the south of the border, then obviously we just had our Canadian Thanksgiving up here. Mm. I know you guys have it next month in the U.S. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we had a long weekend, and, uh, I'm actually working from home right now, so that's why my days are a little mixed up too. So I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> but actually, you know, I'm gonna throw it over to you because I want to get your opinion on you went to the movies recently. I did. You went to sort of go watch like a flashback film. It was like five bucks it cost. It was five bucks. Five dollar film. So you went to you went. I'll let, I'll let you say it. Go ahead. Uh, I went with my sissies and new brother-in-law and daddy to go see Hocus Pocus. It's one of my family's like favorite uh, Halloween movies. So Tyler found it uh, randomly on a thread online that it was coming to theaters around here. So it's like, oh man, I have to tell my sisters. We all have to go. So it's a thing. So finally we made it on a Monday, I think it was. So yeah, it's just fun seeing these movies that you never had a chance to see as a kid in theaters. It's just so much different. And it was a little bit uppressed. So you can see a little bit more of the makeup and the sound design was just a little bit crisper and stuff like that. So it was just, it was a fun experience. It was... um just get a little context about the film for anyone who doesn't know. I think it's a Disney film, right? Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, is it on Disney Plus? Could I watch this at home? Yeah. <laughs> uh, nine, 1993, I believe. It is, yeah. Um, starring Bette Midler, yep. uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, yep. and uh, the other which uh, Kathy Najimy, I believe is how you pronounce no her last name. she is. Yeah, she's actually... Um, yeah, you wouldn't probably know her from much. She's the voice of... Uh, was the voice of uh, Peggy Hill on King of the Hill. Oh, really? So... <laughs> But uh, yeah, and um, interestingly enough, I looked this up earlier. Do you know who, I mean, I didn't recognize the name of the director that did Hocus Pocus. So I figured maybe it was like a one-off or, mm. but um, I mean, the guy's obviously like in his 70s by now, this director, but uh, he, the most thing he, most people know him for besides Hocus Pocus, I guess, was he also directed the High School Musical trilogy. <laughs> oh, did he really? Yeah. I love that trilogy. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Fun fact, or little note, I didn't really watch, I, remember, I don't remember watching Hocus Pocus much when I was younger. Um, like I, said, I probably would have been like uh, six years old when it came out. So I, don't, I mean, I'm sure I probably saw it at some point on TV, or maybe we had a VHS back in the day. Who knows? But the only thing I remember from maybe being a little older, like maybe like nine, ten-ish, whatever, when I was watching the film, is thinking like, kind of think I might have a crush on Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> like she, I know she was we pretty were, in that film. Yeah. <laughs> we were trying to decide before the film because yeah. I have two more sisters, so we're the three sisters, and we're trying to figure out which sister uh, was which. Of course. So nobody else wanted to be Sarah Jessica Parker, and I'm like fine i'll be sarah jessica <laughs> parker she's pretty in this movie like what is your problem guys <laughs> who were they fight- who was fighting over to be the ben midler character <laughs> well they're saying who's the best singer so i picked oh. morgan but then morgan doesn't want to be the leader so then it ended up being the other one <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah i mean it's always cool to go back and watch those like movies from like a couple decades ago in theaters like like you said if you like i the one i'm kicking myself for not going to see when i was in theaters like sometime last year i think was they brought back like jurassic park in theaters Really, I would like to have seen that because I don't. I didn't see that when I was when I was because that came out. I think I think I think it was also ninety three, so I would have been pretty young at the time. That but was a year. yeah, um, cool. Yeah, I haven't really watched too much else to be honest. I've I've slacked on the Halloween stuff. It's my bad. I also I still got to finish the boys. And, uh, <laughs> You're probably, shaking your head in shame right now. I am now. shaking. <laughs> I should I should finish the boys at some point. I'm pretty sure next month or maybe even a few weeks from now is when like Mandalorian starts up again. I want to oh, watch yeah. that. Oh yeah, so I'll finish the, the boys. Is it in October? I, I thought think it was November. So. I could oh, be wrong. I can't remember. I should have looked it up, but mm. yeah. Um, 
And yeah, no, not really, I'm not really playing anything different. Um, I was going to actually mention this. We have a few minutes we can talk about. Um, we haven't really talked about it for probably a month or so now. Is but, but we've been playing it every week pretty much. Has been uh, Danganronpa, right? Oh yeah. So we're, we're we're close to the end now. I think we're actually on the last trial. Yes, we are. Um, I thought that last week, and then it kept going. I'm like, oh, I guess this isn't the last trial. <laughs> yeah, that last week one did not feel like a last trial. I just thought it would be, given... We didn't know about all, some of the people yeah, yet. So. They're really, they're starting to throw a lot of crazy twists and stuff at us. This is the good part. Yeah, this is going to be intense, I think. Um, probably going to be a good old, good four or five hour trial. I'm, so, I'm going to be um, so sad when it's over. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really good series. Um, you and I talked about this the other day while, while we were playing it, but like... Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with the, these visual novel type games. Uh, like we played a couple of the Science Gates games. Obviously, I mean, I played Nine Nine Nine. It's not really a visual novel. It's we had to a replay Nine Nine. But, but yeah, this one was really interesting. Um, seeing like, there's obviously a lot of similarities between the three games. Different similar gameplay, the similar theme, structure. Too. Yeah, the themes. But like, yeah, the characters are all very different, and and um, trials are for the most part pretty clever. Um, yeah, I thought these trials were actually easier than the other games. Yeah. For sure, this one felt a lot easier than two. Or maybe I just paid more attention this time. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you were getting so much better though. Like yeah. you were picking out stuff that I wasn't picking out, and I was like, "Wow, you!" Are, I think your like detective instincts are just getting better. <laughs> so this will be great for Phoenix, right? Yeah, exactly. Looking <laughs> forward to that. But yeah, um, uh, what was he telling me the other day about? Not was it not Dan Rope? I thought he said something else was coming out or something oh, else was announced. Oh, there was. Um... It's kind of the same universe to Steinsgate mm-hmm. oh, right. and yeah. Chaos Child. A new one came out. It's it's about a robotics club, I think. Um, but you apparently have to have played Steinsgate to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've done that, so we're good. But there's two games in this series, apparently. So it came out the other day, but it's full price. So we'll wait. And we have to play Chaos Child also. Yes. The only other gaming thing maybe I was going to mention was, um, I know we talked about this a few days ago too. I think we read... Uh, I saw something about it on Twitter. You told me about it too when I was at work, but I know it affects you more than me, obviously. But uh, how do you feel about the um, PlayStation changing their online? Uh, oh di- my gosh! You can describe better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> so they are making a new store for the new system coming out on the web, on like on the internet. So right now you could buy PSP, Vita, PS3, and PS4 games on their web store, which is so much less clunky than buying it on any of those systems. But they're creating a brand new store for the PS5, which will only be able to purchase PS4 and PS5 games on it. This means to for all the people that want to go and download their PSP, their Vita, and their PS3 games, they have to go through the immensely horribly slow built-in stores on each system which is absolutely terrible and also i think did i read this like i think part of the thing that makes the online store the current online store easier is being able to like search and filter things and yes you can't do that that on vita right like i have to i have to make you go through the whole list because i could not pick it out through like the thousands of like dlc that shows up on the vita list like dlc from games on the ps4 even show up on the vita list it's like no just show me the Vita stuff at least. Like every piece of Hyperdimension Neptunia DLC, there's so like there's hundreds. It's crazy, and you just go down the list. That's a curse you have for playing all those JRPGs, all the the way they do all the DLC. Well, I didn't have to buy all the DLC, but I, did. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that is a terrible thing. <laughs> I am very sad, and I would just go on and download everything, so I would never have to deal with the store. But my big Vita memory card died. So I am left with an 8 gig card that will not fit anything. So I am SOL. 
<laughs> yep. Obviously, I was very heated about this. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it for gaming stuff. Okay, I guess we'll go to the, into the main topic for the week. It's another. I'll try to think of, try to think of a gaming one for next week. I'm not trying not to make this too movie heavy because I know there's probably a lot of people that maybe. Maybe they just zone out when they hear the movie stuff. Maybe they run here more gaming stuff. I'll try and make it more incorporated next week. Uh, but yeah, for now I got another movie one. So this one should take up most of the podcast duration here because I'm probably gonna talk at, at least for a few minutes about each item on this list. So I've lo- and this is definitely gonna be. I'll get into the movie topic in a second, but just be forewarned, uh, this is gonna be spoiler heavy because um, I'm gonna talk about. Um, the endings to most of these films I'm mentioning as well as or the or at least the main twists on most of them. So. Is there any I haven't seen that I want to see? Um no. No, I'm pretty sure you've seen or listened to all of these at some okay, point. Good. Yeah. There's nothing too really new. The probably the newest one on this list is like, I don't know, twenty sixteen or something. So it's yeah, I'm not, I'm not you know, talking about anything that came out this year or last year. Nothing um, came out this year. <laughs> there was something about this year. But there was Tenet. <laughs> I keep thinking about how interesting the Oscars is going to be next year. Oh, I never thought of that. Because like, you, you, there's still enough. There's still enough like stuff on Netflix and Amazon, yeah. and and obviously some stuff came out in theaters pre or even during COVID that can still be accounted for. But compared to most years, it's going to be a really soft year for a lot of categories. I think. Yeah, Tenet um, might sweep. No, Tenet will not get any love because, <laughs> because the, the Academy hates Nolan. If anything, it'll probably get a nod for score. The score um, will get a nod. Not well. Come on, like the cinematography and the mm. video editing had to be crazy. Yeah, I can see editing maybe getting a, a notice, but anyways, we'll we'll review that. And I mean, Oscar list don't come until January or something. Yeah. So, uh, so the topic I have for this week regarding the film, uh, the the title I just the note note I wrote on my phone here. The title says. Um, tragic film characters that sounds kind of vague what i mean by that is uh a character in the film usually the protagonist or at least one of the main characters and actually there's there's some like i guess i'm using air quotes here villains on this list but uh for the most part it's probably protagonists but these are characters that um you know like when i say tragic i don't just mean like oh no they had a horrible death so it's a tragedy <laughs> it's more just about like like you're spending a lot of time with these characters in the films, um, and it, they they usually have an arc of some kind. They they either start out as like um, a good character with a tragic event, or maybe uh, a bad character that sort of redeems themselves. But then tragic happens, tragedy. <laughs> um, and like I said, I'm gonna get into spoilers for each one of these, so just be warned. Like if I'll, I'll mention the name in the movie initially, and then I'll ta- then the character I'm gonna talk about. So that way, if if you're concerned, you can just skip ahead on to the next thing or something. But um, I don't. I don't think I put these in any particular order on my phone. I was just sort of at work one day last week, and I was just type. I was just <laughs> put on my notes. I'm like, yeah, I'll talk about that one. I'll talk about that one. So this isn't any particular. I'm not ranking these. There's no alphabetical order here. It's just sort of like the whatever, whatever, tragic. whatever popped into my head. So first one I'm going to mention is, um, and also I looking at my list now, I realize this might sound bad, but these are all males actors. I, I, I guess I, my, 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 my mind always goes to male actors first. I'm sure there's a lot of female examples I could have used here. Maybe I'll think about that for the future. I didn't want to half-ass it, so um, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have any actresses on this list, but um, again, a lot of these movies I are like on one, like our favorite favorites of mine, or at least ones I've seen many, many times. That's why these characters stand out to me. But so you love tragedy. Uh, I just really like the arcs with these characters, and I'll get into why in a minute. Okay, so basically, before I circle the wagons too many times here, uh, let's just get into it. So circle the wagons. This expression. Circle the wagons. Yeah. 
If you say so, I'm gonna Google that later. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. I know I'm not wrong. Okay. <laughs> it just means like you're repeating the same no, thing. No, I got. Okay. I know what you're getting at. All right. Whatever. My life. Uh huh. Because you don't watch westerns. That's why. No, I do not like westerns. <laughs> you are correct. Okay. So, uh, first one on the list. Uh, I'm not going to mention the years because I'm probably going to get most of them wrong. So I just, you know, you, most of these films are probably, you've heard of them in some capacity anyway. But first one is called Warrior. That's the one that came out in the past decade. Uh, I've mentioned it before in this podcast. I know a few times probably. It's it's stars like Nick Nolte, Tom Hardy, Joel Edgerton. It's about the two brothers who are MMA fighters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have their father who's an alcoholic. Yes. And, okay. So that character specifically is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the father character who's played by Nick Nolte. I don't remember the actor's, the character's name before. Oh, no, I do actually. What am I talking about? I just, I'm such an idiot. I, I looked, I, I watched most of these clips on these films earlier so I could refresh <laughs> my memory on these. Yeah, so of course I remember the guy's name. The father's name is, uh, I think they're, it's like Irish heritage. They're Irish. So yeah, his name's Paddy Conlon. Okay. So anyways, he, um, he actually doesn't, I've heard that now he was nominated for an Oscar for this role, which was very well deserved in my opinion. He didn't win, unfortunately, but uh, he was like supporting. Yeah, supporting. Yeah, apparently he had a lot of uh, the film was probably a little over two hours. Anyways, he had a lot of his scenes that were cut for time, oh. and apparently uh, a lot of the stuff was cut. Maybe would have enhanced his like, his performance was still amazing as is, but I can only imagine what I haven't actually seen any deleted scenes. I don't even know if they're on the DVD, the Blu-ray, or like. If it's just stuff that got cut and never released, but apparently he had some stuff cut out. But whatever is in the film, yeah, he's definitely supporting compared to the two brothers who are the main stars in the film. But his arc is amazing, in my opinion, because, you know, he starts out as he's in the first, you know, six, seven minutes of the film. He has basically a, a scene back and forth with like Tom Hardy, where he sort of sets up a lot of their the backstory, like about how he was, you know, a neglectful father, alcoholic maybe possibly abused his either his kids or his wife you know it's a lot of it's vague at the beginning but later on in the film they get into more into that but so clearly at the beginning of the film he's a recovering alcoholic he mentioned several times how he's going through the 12 steps you know aa thousand days sober that kind of thing um and then again i'm getting into spoilers obviously here so uh towards the second half of the film he has a confrontation with one of with tom hardy with, with whose name is tommy in the film <laughs> uh yeah, yeah uh has a confrontation with tommy where tommy just kind of like you know tells him he has no use for him you know basically tells him go away and go drink yourself to death or something so he so he does he, he lapses he, he has a he goes gets drunk and he sort of goes like a, like a little uh i don't say not a tirade he just sort of like has an episode in a hotel room and it's like one of the best scenes in the film but um, and then later on in the film, the two brothers, they sort of forgive the dad. And he's he's there at the end of the film to watch them. They're fighting each other in the, in, in the end of this, this MMA championship to see who wins this fight. And he's there to watch them. And, you know, because the two brothers hate each other for other reasons in the film, not so much to do with the dad. But um, and then they end up sort of making up at the end too. the brothers. They have more respect for each other. And the dad's just there to, to watch, you know, but um yeah, I don't know. There's just something, something about, I mean, obviously, like I said, the acting was so good. He sells because, again, he's everything the brothers say, you don't see, there's no flashbacks. You're not seeing him being like an alcoholic or an abusive mm-hmm. father in the past, but it's, it's all sort of like just mentioned in passing. But you feel so bad for him in the film because he just seems like this broken down old man who really just want you feel like know. he wants to actually his kids to forgive him and he feels he feels well because he's he's he has grandkids too that he never gets to see right. because of all this too. Yeah, like, you just feel for him like mm-hmm. he really looks like he's trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is he, he's one of these I've mentioned this several times on the podcast before too but I love these actors who are so expressive with their eyes mm-hmm, there's so many, so many times in the scene where he just doesn't say anything like the one part where Tom Hardy's like blowing up on him and he just you just see the sadness in his yeah. eyes and just like yeah he's 
he's one of my favorite characters. Like I said, he's he's one of the ones on this list where I feel like he did actually have a bit of a redemption arc towards the end of the film. Like you don't know for sure if the kids are really going to forgive him. He's going to be able to like be back in his grandkids' lives. It's all kind of implied, but yeah, it's one of my favorite examples of uh, yeah, a person who's obviously done wrong in the past who tries to make things right, and it's they don't they don't try and Hollywoodize it, you know, yeah. and make it like at the end of the film, he's not showing up at Christmas with like a, Hey, I'm here now. It's you know, like, you know, that there's going to be some growing pains and bumps yeah. on the road. You're still, maybe he's on the right road to, you know, getting back with his family. So, um, next one on the list, uh, you've definitely seen, uh, I'm pretty sure you've seen, uh, called the insider. Yes. Yeah. The Russell Crowe and Al Pacino. Okay. So in this case, I am talking about the Russell Crowe character. I find him to be one of the more tragic ones because really, in, in this film, he does nothing wrong. He no. he gets fired from his job. He works for a t- he work, he's a he's a head. Um, what exactly was his role? He was a scientist, like a or he worked as a. He worked with the with Brandon Williamson with the tobacco company yeah. to develop the nicotine, and he he realized that you know this is back in like the what was it nineties? I think I think it takes place in nineties or eighties when you know it was revealed like nicotine was really mm-hmm. addictive, and the tobacco companies were all covering it up and everything, and so he gets fired from his job for basically being a whistleblower and then he uh he gets kind of like recruited to by like the al pacino's character works for 60 minutes they want him to do a big expose on on the tobacco industry and blow it all up and and he's reluctant to because he knows that they might which come after him yeah so they come after his family like threaten his family uh threaten him stalk him you know intimidation all that stuff right and then eventually um so he does um end up doing this records this interview for 60 minutes like a video interview where they're going to air it and it's going to blow everything up and then his so his when he comes back from like doing this taping he realizes his wife his his relationship with his wife is very contentious throughout the film especially once he gets fired from his job and so his wife just kind of like leaves in the middle of the night and takes his kids his two daughters so he's all alone he's he, they, you know put him up at a hotel he's staying at a hotel while he's waiting for the 60 minutes thing to happen and then it's revealed that the 60 minutes statement might never come out because there's this controversy about um, CBS that doesn't want to get sued by the tobacco company because of this interview and because like the CBS might be getting sold and this might oh. destroy the merger process, like the whole company process. So basically the Pacino has to like call Russell Crowe and tell him like, Hey, everything you did doesn't really mean anything because we're not gonna be able to air it. So your wife and kids kind of left you for nothing and no one will ever hire. Like at this point he was like working as like a high school teacher just to like mm-hmm. have a job somewhere. And, but then like, there was like a whole smear campaign again the tobacco companies were trying to like find out stuff about his past and sort of discredit him and so the most tragic part of the film probably towards the end big spoiler here again like i said if you want to skip ahead is uh he's this is after he's just been told that you know that segment's not going to air or whatever so he's sitting in this hotel room and again this is all implied it's not like he has a gun with him or anything but it's kind of implied he's probably gonna commit suicide or something because he's just sitting in this hotel room staring across the across that the building where the the lawyers work for the tobacco company Aww. and he's just like but Pacino like kind of calls him and just like gets him on the phone and they have this big argument but eventually Pacino kind of like talks him down and says you know I'll make this right so at the end of the film long story short Pacino does fight with CBS to get the segment on the air it does get aired so he gets and it's a nice scene at the end of the film because like Russell Crowe is kind of like with his two daughters who are like I don't know nine or ten years old whatever in the film and uh obviously like he's kind of playing the divorce dad rule I think he's like he has them for the weekend or something so he's making them dinner and then the tv comes on and they see his segment and then like they kind of like I don't know. I guess it. it's all, it's a little heavy handed the way it's, it's directed, but I get why they're trying to get the point across though, just using so much dialogue. But basically, the kids are watching. I mean, I doubt my nine year olds are watching 60 minutes, but <laughs> the kids are basically watching a segment. They see the dad on TV talking about all this stuff, and they kind of look back at him with like like a look of pride, kind of like, oh, this is why 
our life has been like this, you know, because you did something. So he gets like a little bit of redemption in the film, even though his family life's probably irreparably broken, right? But yeah, it's definitely a tragic film. Because like I said, he was he had good intentions all along the film. He never did anything wrong. Seemed to be a good family guy, but it's just the way the circumstances worked out, and you know. But uh, and and it's one of my, it's one of my favorite performances of his. Like I said, I think he definitely got robbed of the Oscar for that role. I still say that the he did those three films back to back. Like so, 99, 2000, 2001, He did The Insider, Gladiator, A Beautiful Mind. I think those oh. those that could be the best consecutive three films any actor's ever done, in my opinion. And ironically, he wins the Oscar for Gladiator, oh. which was a good film, but not his best performance. He could have won for either Beautiful Mind or Insider. I would have been happy mm-hmm. with those roles because he just had a lot more. I forgot about Beautiful character arc in those films. Yeah, but. Um, Again, I know I've probably mentioned that film in here before. It's another category or capacity, but if you haven't seen it, go watch it for sure. It's a great film. Directed by Michael Mann. Same guy did Collateral. <laughs> so, <laughs> it all comes back to Collateral. Uh, okay. Running out of time here. Jeez, I talked too much about some of these. Uh, next one on the list. Next one on the list is, is, a, is an easy one. As soon as I mention the title, you'll know exactly which character I'm talking about. It's going to be The Green Mile. Oh, John Coffey? Yeah. So, played by Michael Clark Duncan. Who unfortunately passed away it was like four or five years ago yeah. now i feel like it's yeah but he, he did pass away earlier in this past decade um but yeah i mean so again anybody who hasn't seen it, if you green mile came out over 20 years ago i think it was 98 if you haven't seen it oh, yet man. i mean i've watched the movie so much yeah it's such a good film i mean based on a stephen king novel uh directed by frank darabont who also did um Shawshank redemption mm. uh uh the mist oh the, really the new one yeah like well new is in like oh seven yes. i think it came out but like yeah not the original Miss from like yeah. the 60s or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, so anyways, Green Mile, uh, yeah, amazing film. Like Tom Hanks is great in it. All the actors are great Everybody's in it. Amazing. It's so good. I could just mention the whole cast, but I'm just going to focus specifically focus on Michael, uh, John Coffey, like you yeah. said, who is, so his character, to basically sum things up really quickly here, he gets um, arrested and charged with the murder of two little girls. Yes. Uh, and then it's revealed later on in the film that he didn't actually kill them. There was another crazy guy, like Wild Bill, who was also in, in the in same the prison, prison, in the same prison with them, who, who who killed the girls. And John just happened to find their bodies. And because, oh, unfortunately, for, and unfortunately, because this takes place somewhere in the south, like, yeah. I don't know if it's like Louisiana or wherever it is, but because of the era, it's in, I don't remember the exact era. I want to see if it's like, like early 1900s, but he. Uh, I don't think it's that early. Well, like 1930s, 1940s, maybe. Okay. I said early 1900s. Okay. It's. Not mid mid nineties, oh, so whatever. But he's he's basically yeah. Racism plays a large part in it. I mean, they see a large African American man with two dead little white girls, and they're gonna think, okay, well, he's guilty. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's revealed obviously big sort of a nice twist. If you haven't read the book before, the the way it's revealed in the second half of the film, where he kind of like I think he takes Tom Hanks's hand because coffee can basically show people things like visions if you take his hand. He because it's kind of implied. I don't think it's ever specifically outright said, but I think it's heavily implied, obviously, that he's like an angel from heaven or something. Right. And so that's why he can... Because like, he can heal, too. Right, he can heal things. He can give people visions. Yeah. Um, so long story short, obviously, why it's a tragedy is because even though it's revealed that he didn't commit these murders, because he shows the vision of Tom Hanks, but Tom Hanks, of course, he's not going to be able to convince anybody. There's no evidence. And unfortunately, the Wild Bill character gets killed, too, because Coffee kind of, like, possess, possesses he... The other, the other mean prison guard, Percy. Yes. Uh, he kind of possesses Percy, and Percy shoots Wild Bill. So it's sort of like there's a little bit of justice because like the real killer does die, yeah. but Coffee is still going to get executed by the electric chair because there's no way to prove to exonerate him. But 
Every time I see it, whether it's on TV or on YouTube or whatever, every time I see that damn execution scene, with, <laughs> it, it, oh my, you can't not cry every time because whether it's Tom Hanks or Michael Clark Duncan, it's just amazing acting and this, the soundtrack and it's such a good, I mean, it's, it's easy one of those tragedy film characters because he's just, the guy's like, just like, even though the Michael Clark Duncan is like, I don't know, what was he in real life? Like six, eight, 300 pounds of yeah. muscle. Like he's just a giant of a man, but he felt like a little kid in this film because he just... Well, good. Yeah, he wouldn't fight anything. Right. Like he, he went was, along with everything. Yeah. He wasn't cruel or, you know, angry or anything. No, he, he was, was just the nicest guy. Yeah. And, I, and I do, I really love the, you could also make a point for Tom Hanks being a tragic character, his character being tragic in this film too, because in the, the film, it sort of revealed that like, he, he's not really like immortal, but like when John Coffey kind of like gave oh, him his power, right. he can kind of live longer. So basically Tom Hanks, the character grows up to see everybody in his life die. So his friends, his family, his kids, cause he grows to be like, I don't know. And it was like well over a hundred, like 140 something years old. And just because like the way that Coffey's power transferred him, he can't really die at normal age. So his curse is sort of like the has to live to see everybody else die because as I think Hanks's character says in the film, it's sort of like his curse, like God's cursing him for killing a miracle of God. Oh, right. right? Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, you can make a case for you the main tragic, but I mean, I think the coffee character is yes. a bit more on the tragic yes. side. But yeah, I mean, amazing film. I mean, is that's... the book much different? Do you know? I haven't read it, so I can't say for sure. Oh, I've, I, from it? what I've heard, do we have it? I thought I From what I've heard, I think it's pretty faithful to the, to okay. the book. Yeah. Um, next one on the list. Um, yeah, I may actually for time. I may have to cut, cut, cut a couple of no. these, but this one, this one, I'm not too crazy. But I'll skip him for now. If we have time, I'll come back to him. The next one on the list. I mean, I'll, I'll keep this one brief because it's a recent one, and I'm sure everybody already knows what I'm why this character is tragic, anyways. But since it was, since it was basically the last time you'd ever see him on film, spoiler. Uh, the movie we're talking about here is Logan. Okay. So we're talking about Hugh Jackman, yeah. obviously, playing Wolverine. Yeah. So, again, if you haven't seen Logan, spoiler, skip ahead. I'm just going to get to it in the next five seconds. One, two, three, four, <laughs> five. And Logan, Wolverine finally dies. Yeah. Uh, and I say finally because he played Wolverine in, what, like seven or eight X-Men films going yeah. back to, like, 2000. But in this one, he finally does die. So, and I think, is when I say, like, when I mention Logan, I'm not saying, I mean, to be honest, out of all the X-Men films, this might be the most tragic one because... This is the first time you're really seeing Wolverine being weak. Like he's older, he's losing his powers. Well, and Professor X. The well, and then, and then also Professor tragic. Xavier getting killed, yeah. who's obviously sort of like Logan's father figure, yeah. right? So he has to bury him. The way him. he dies, too. Yeah, like right. So, so yeah, I think you can easily point to this one as being, and, and it's probably one of Hugh Jackman's best works, like his best acting in, in, in any non, even a non X Men film is one I of his best. I thought you liked him in the other movie where his daughter was stolen. Oh, Prisoners? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because the different. It's like a restrained Hugh Jackman. He's not just like killing everybody or beating everybody up. Like he's <laughs> he's yeah, he's playing a father figure in that one. But uh but on this one too, like yeah, it's the whole thing is tragic. But it's more just about like the culmination of Wolverine's arc and everything he's been through over all the films, having to see people die, having to kill people. Well, like killing he, like killing Gene in X Men three, that kind of thing. And which, he always gives off like the don't care nature, but he has to take care of Professor X in the end. Right. So like he's obviously grown. Mm-hmm. So it's it is super sad face. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, um, I'm not gonna go into too much details. Like I said, Logan's a pretty recent film, and I'm sure most people have probably seen it by now if they if they had any kind of passing interest in the X Men films. So, R-rated X Men. What is this? Yeah. Um. Oh, next one on the list. Here's a good one. Okay, so this is one of the first. This is one of the only ones on the list. Well, maybe contentious. Maybe maybe the only one on the list where this is a, a this is a a villain character, so the antagonist of the film. <gasps> but 
he's not really a true antagonist because he he doesn't have evil intentions. He's just, he's trying to do an evil act for the right reasons, but it blows up in his face. So before I get into too many examples here, I'll just say it's one of my favorite films ever, action mm-hmm. film from the nineties mm-hmm. with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery called. I don't know. The, come on. The Rock. Oh, I've never seen it. But you've listened to it, I'm sure. I've never, I'm sure I've listened okay. to it. So I'm not, it's not the Nicolas Cage character, not the John Connery character. They're essentially the good guys in the film, using air quotes here. It's the antagonist character played by Ed Harris, um, General Hummel. He's the one who basically has the plan to take these people hostage on Alcatraz, take these tourists hostage in Alcatraz with a bunch of gas rockets that he's going to fire at San Francisco. But <laughs> the intention is like, he, so he's, he's a decorated U.S. soldier um, general. Obviously, I just mentioned his title already, but, you know, fought in the Vietnam War and a bunch of other wars. And basically, the reason why he's taking these people hostage, he has no he has no plans to execute them or really to kill anybody in general. His whole mission is just about threat. He just wants to threaten the U.S. government into, he wants to collect $100 million, which... You know, even in the '90s, wasn't really that much money, but 100 million dollars he wants to collect to basically reimburse the families of all the soldiers died under his command in special operations. So basically, all these soldiers that did uh, black ops and stuff, and when they die, the U.S. government kind of covers it up because they can't reveal why they were there for these missions. So that, and then their families are denied compensation because it's like, oh well, he it didn't died. really happen, right? So, so he's just he feels more like he, all these men died under his command. His family was never given any compensation or right. proper funeral burial. That's awful, right? So he, his intentions are just like, I just want to. He's like, I'm not keeping this money for myself. I'm giving it to the families, and then and obviously, and he still had to pay. I think because I think there was 81 families who so demands 100 million because he wants to give a million each family. Plus, the other 19 million would be for the other soldiers that he's recruited for this mission. Right. He, wants to, he wants to give each of them a million so they can go to like a non extradition country so they don't get arrested or charged for treason or anything, right? Mm-hmm. So, but towards the end of the film, um, like, cause he, I mean, he's, I mean, again, he's a little naive, I guess, cause he's not gonna think that the government's gonna respond to terrorism, obviously. That's a staple in most U.S. politics. But, uh, towards the second half of the film, you know, you see, he comes to realize that. Okay, the government's probably not going to pay up, and I really don't want to have to kill all these people, so <laughs> I'm just going to like abort this whole thing. Then the other, the other, some of the other soldiers on the mission with him are a little more power hungry and evil than him, so they kind of overthrow him, and uh, and they're going to like they're they're, you know, they're going to take his take over his command and launch these rockets anyway and kill millions of people, even without getting the money, just because they're like sociopaths, right? Okay. <laughs> so towards the end of the film, like he has this they have, like this big Mexican standoff, like Hummel and these other four soldiers who are all with, and they're all they're all pointing guns at each other, and then his one sort of like his best friend who was on his side seemingly is going to turn on him and then he shoots one of the other guys and says they have this big shootout and unfortunately Hummel does get killed by the other soldiers but as he's dying he reveals the location of Nicolas Cage of like where the last rocket is hidden so they can go disarm it or whatever mm. so it's, it's just like it's besides the fact that his character obviously like I said he has good intentions about why he unfortunately took all these people hostage and why he stole these rockets and everything to for terrorist reasons even though he's never intended to use them but then also why he gets overthrown by his other the people under under his command but it's just more like the way he dies in this film too he gets shot a few times nothing nothing too dramatic or like you know it's like tarantino style where he gets shot a million times he gets shot a few times and then as he's kind of like leaning against the wall bleeding out uh, just watching these other guys having a shootout he just sort of like slides down this wall and then you just like see him like his eyes just go out right and it's just like okay so he's like the guy was like a u.s hero and didn't really do anything wrong here like he didn't kill anybody on in this specific movie right but he uh 
Well, actually, that's not true. He did kill one guy in the shootout at the end because he was pointing a gun at him, but that guy tur- <laughs> was going to turn on him. So, but I don't know. It's just to me like he's, and I've seen this mentioned in many other articles and things online before too. It's it's a common thread that he's one of the most sympathetic villains of the '90s or even any film decade for that matter. And it's, it's because he's acted he's it's acted so well by Ed Harris too. Mm. He's he's great. Um, yeah, he's one of my favorite. Again, it's it's these kind of movies. I wish I wish that Michael Bay would do more movies like this. It's not going to happen anymore because this was over. This was like twenty five years ago. He's just doing Transformers garbage now. But <laughs> like back in the nineties, like man, he did like you know Bad Boys, uh, The Rock, Armageddon, like really good nineties action films that actually had good acting and good heart behind them. And then once he started getting the Transformers stuff, it's like all right, well, it's all just CGI garbage now. So whatever, <laughs> you know. I wonder what made him go to that. Like, was it offered to him? Uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, He's he's tried to do action films a, a little bit, like he he did that one. I think what was it 2015, 2016 called like um, how was it called? It's on theaters. Something something about U.S. soldiers in Benghazi or something. Um, like Jim from the Office was in it. Okay, <laughs> it was it was a U.S. military movie that actually had like based on real events. It wasn't it wasn't like Transformers stuff, but yeah, he just doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore, which is unfortunate. But um, what time we got here? Uh, Give me one more. Oh, I really want to do two more. Yeah, well, okay. Two more. Well, no, I'll just do one more because... No, if you really want two. Okay, I'll, I'll go quick. Okay, <laughs> next film. You've seen it before. I know that for sure. Shutter Island. Okay, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. The Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. character? Okay. So, to keep this kind of short, because I don't really, don't, I really don't want to spoil the whole movie because it's, it's, a, great it's a great thriller. movie and a great book, too, for that matter. Oh, man. Um, But, yeah, so directed by Martin Scorsese. Got a great cast. You got, like, DiCaprio... Uh, Mark Ruffalo, Ben Kingsley, um, uh, Max von Sydow, who I think, I think recently passed away. He was a great like German actor, I believe. But he, he was in a lot of stuff. Um, great cast. But anyways, it, the film is um, takes place mostly on like a. Like, I think it takes place like 1950s, 1960s, whatever the area is. It takes place on like an island. There's like a, a, a mental asylum or some kind of facility on an island for dangerous criminals, and. Um, so DiCaprio's character at the start of the film, what you from what you understand, DiCaprio's character is like a U.S. marshal or something that goes to this island to investigate a disappearance mm-hmm. or a, possibly a murder or some kind or something at this island. So, and he just his disappearance. He kept switching for the guy the whole time. Yeah, it starts off as a disappearance, but he suspects it could have been a murder. Okay, like I see what you mean. Yeah, but anyways, so there's a lot of twists in the film. I can get into all that, but so why DiCaprio's character is the most tragic is because it's revealed. Big spoilers here, so by all means, please skip ahead if you don't want to hear any of this. So reveal later on in the film that DiCaprio's character is actually a patient at this asylum. And this whole time, the warden and these other uh, psychiatrists that work there have all been kind of like doing this exercise for his benefit to try and help him remember things or to try and help him. Because he's sort of like he has like a split personality thing because he was, it's revealed that why he's on this island as like a dangerous criminal is because he killed his wife because he came home came back from work one day or something and he realized that his wife who I guess was having some kind of like she was depressed or had some kind of mental issues oh, but nice. she ends up drowning all three of their kids in the lake near their house or whatever so he comes home and just like he sees his you know he goes in the house and his wife is like sitting at the table being all weird and then he's like where are the kids and they're like oh like they're resting now or something and he goes outside and he really just sees them like all floating like face down in this pond in his lake or whatever so he tries to go save his kids in the lake realizes they're already all dead right he, brings their bodies back to shore and then his wife kind of says like oh i just had to put them to sleep i look they look so peaceful now and stuff and then he's just like having this break breakdown and then you know she's trying to console him and he ends up just shooting her out of grief um and then so it's revealed that's why he's in the asylum right because he obviously had a mental breakdown after his family died well, you see your kids dead like right that, like. yeah 
but the biggest tragedy for me too is this, the very the very last scene of this film too because um, again spoilers if I didn't already spoil enough <laughs> for you you're really, I'm really gonna spoil the ending now but the end of the film um, he's DiCaprio's like sitting there with the Mark Ruffalo character who was like posing as his partner in the first half of the mm-hmm. film but it's actually revealed as one of the psychiatrists who was working with DiCaprio but um, they're, they're tr- they were hoping that his memory had he'd gotten rid of that one personality and he'd gotten back to being like a normal like not worrying about trying to uncover this mystery of his family dying or something now maybe now he'd have some resolution but then DiCaprio's character kind of hints at like oh we gotta get this off this island Chuck we gotta go find so and so and then he kind of like looks over at the the like the head psychiatrist and just shakes his head because the psychiatrist the basis that earlier in the film this was his last chance to try and rehabilitate himself and if he didn't they were just gonna like lobotomize him right and basically just turn him into a vegetable right like so 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 yeah so Ruffalo's character kind of like signals for the doctor like no it didn't work again so we're gonna have to to treat him so then the doctor looks sorrowful and then but then as the character is about to be led away he looks back at the Ruffalo character and he says like um I can't remember the exact quote so I don't want to butcher oh. it but I think he says something like you know do you think it's do you think it's better to um live as a monster or die as a good man <laughs> kind of like implying that he's aware of what's going on like he did sort of break his thing but he still wants to just go ahead forget. and forget yeah it's one of my favorite film endings um and it's 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 very faithful to the book too from what i remember reading right. the book oh. yeah everything is a book <laughs> books are good oh man i gotta get all these on audible <laughs> anyway i did have a couple more on the list but i'm not gonna have time to mention them today i will make up a part two for this list Woo! which i'll do in the in the future but yeah for now uh we will wrap it up um anything you want to end on any last notes points things you want to mention what are we looking forward to next week? Anything special? Um, Jackbox Party comes out tomorrow. Oh, yeah. That's exciting. That'll be cool. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I'm excited to play more Jackbox because <laughs> I miss that. All that Jackbox we played during yeah. the height of the pandemic. I'm happy to have. What, what, when back. does when does our extra life start? What's the November date November seven. So a few weeks still. Okay. Yeah. yeah November seven. Week after Halloween. Right. Yeah, I think I mentioned the other day. I have my sort of my list of four or five games. Oh, I, there's more than two. I can use my list. Today. I know, but oh. I can't believe that you'll do anything other than well, I can't MLB just. Apex. Well, that's not true. I could just play yes, MLB in Apex for twenty four hours, but I, know. I do need to split it up a little bit. I'll get in. I'll get into detail with that next week. We'll talk about our lists, but um, yeah, something to look forward to. That'll be fun. Extra life. <laughs> fun for you. You're the one that has, gets just to, get to sit and play. I have to set up. <laughs> that is so stressful. But you're good at it. I know. I know it'll get done. I'm yeah. just saying I have to make lists and charts and stuff. In the meantime, um, make sure everything's pre-downloaded and pre-updated. And mm-hmm. if I'm playing old systems, I have to make sure I have the connections. And there's a whole bunch of work that goes into this. Yes, there is. Please raise money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we'll wrap it up tonight. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, of course, as always. And stay safe out there. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Boys. Bye. Bye.